don't think it's really necessary that I do anything now. <laughs> um, David sent me an email yesterday and said, hey, just so you know, or two days ago, Jen's going to be speaking before you get up. He's like, just, you know, you don't have to make any comments on it, but go up there and just, you know, well said, Jen, or whatever. And I made this stupid joke to myself that I was like, well, I'm not going to say well said unless it's well said. You know, like as, a, as a joke to myself, I do that. I laugh. It's, it's dumb. Um, but that was extremely well said. That was, uh, yeah. Very true, and I am standing here thinking like I need to reflect on that, um, even as I have to transition us <laughs> to new thoughts. So thank you, Jen. Um, I apologize for my disposable math today. It's mask laundry day. Um, <laughs> which is one of my favorite COVID traditions, um, because it's just literally like, this is dirty because I've breathed in it too much. Like, <laughs> it feels ridiculous, but it's true. <clears throat> um, I do, I am a little bit on, on subject with Jen. Today I want to talk a little bit about mental health. Um, I'll give like a lot of disclaimers, I think, through this, um, but I'll, I'll start by saying like, I'm not a mental health professional. Um, this is not going to be like a really, deep lecture or uh, deep dive into like a psychological principle. Um, you shouldn't be lining up at my door for therapy after this. That's not what this is. Um, I've just been thinking a lot about uh, one particular concept and I hope it can be life-giving for you as it has been for me recently. Um, it was pointed out to me by my wife the, uh, a week ago or so that it's also Suicide Prevention Month, um, which I feel like it's a great time obviously to be talking about mental health. Um, so I'm going to start by talking about a story from the Bible that I've been reflecting on uh, a little bit recently, and I think it has a profound lesson on mental health embedded in the story. So to give a little backstory, my wife and I run a nonprofit called Neighbors. Um, Neighbors is a, a thing where we get to mentor young people, high school and college age students um, or young adults and we get to kind of walk through life with them. We get to talk about questions of faith with them. We do active service, active loving of our neighbors um, with them. And so this is the start of a semester for our students um, and sort of like the start of us really like diving into these relationships face-to-face, -face, mass, distance, all those different things. But for the first time, we get to kind of be with them. Um, so we had our first neighbors event for young adults and college students on Tuesday. And we had kind of decided with our team, Dana's on our team, um, to, <laughs> um, to talk a little bit about Brene Brown, and she has these um, kind of guideposts for wholehearted living. Um, and I won't get into all of those um, today, but the essential premise is that there are, are half of a list of things that you want to cultivate, and then the opposite thing that you kind of want to let go of. Um, and the very first one on the list is cultivating authenticity and letting go of what other people think. And so that was what we were gonna talk about on Tuesday. Um, this is a long story to say that we wanted to kind of hand out handouts to the, the students so they could, they could like look at what we're gonna do. Like look at the fact that we're gonna be talking about cultivating authenticity, um, look at the back and like read a verse, all that sort of thing. Um, so I am a, a really, really savvy at all things technological. David can tell you it only takes me one to two weeks to respond to an email or <laughs> type something up. Like, I am like, you know, it's really bad. 
But of course, uh, but my wife is really good, so I'm like stealing her formats of things, and I am wanting to send my mentors a little like um, template of what we're going to do on Tuesday. And I'm like, okay, we're going to talk about cultivating authenticity. I don't have a verse yet, but let me just throw something on here so that they can see what it would look like. And I was thinking to myself, like, what is um, a story from the Bible that I think like shows authenticity? And um, I grew up having to read all sorts of Bible stories. And without thinking, I wrote down this verse from Exodus that popped in my head. Um, and so here's kind of what's happening in this passage. Um, this is an interaction between Moses and God. It's a, a, the famous story of Moses at the burning bush. Um, quick backstory on Moses, if you don't know. Moses was um, a baby, like we all were at one point. Um, and uh, he is an Israelite. Uh, born into a situation where the Israelites are enslaved to the Egyptians. Long story short, he's sent off to um, be kind of raised by Pharaoh's daughter and family, grows up there, um, ends up having to flee from that situation um, in fear for his life, kind of has a new life, gets a family, all those different things, and then he is called to like go back and be the champion of God to, like, free the enslaved people. So that's kind of the backstory. Um, So Moses is interacting with God, where God is saying, this is what I want you to do. And this is kind of what happens. Moses says to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. That is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Okay, so Moses wants to know what he should tell people. Who sent you again? Like, what is this God you're talking about? Are you sure this is the right guy? Is this the real deal? And God says, tell them, I am who I am. Um, I learned another way to translate this verse is like, I will be what I will be. Um, So at the time of me writing into that verse, it was just intended to be a place filler. Like, that feels authentic to me. But after I read it, wrote it down, it's been kind of rolling in my head like over and over again. Um, that statement that God chose to say like, I am, feels really full to me. Um, it sounds like authenticity and it feels like health. Um, I've said probably a thousand times from this pulpit or other places um, that I believe that the degree to which we can be healthy is the degree to which we can accept reality. That is... Um, not my phrase, a phrase from a friend of mine who actually is a licensed therapist. Um, the reality of our circumstances, the reality of our surrounding relationships, all sorts of other realities, and maybe most importantly, the reality of ourselves. Um, self-acceptance is an essential component of health. Uh, in this simple statement that God uses, he demonstrates incredible self-acceptance. Um, God's statement leaves me with a feeling of self-embrace, I am who I am feels like a a complete acceptance of the reality of all of God's self. Um, In Psychology Today, there was an article um, about self-acceptance written by Dr. Leon Seltzer, and in it he gives a few great thoughts, Um, but here's one that I really love because I feel like it speaks clearly to our human plight and the difference between kind of what's typical for how we behave and what God is demonstrating here. Um, So this is what he says. He says, to adopt a more loving stance toward ourselves, the key prerequisite for self-acceptance, 
we must come to realize that until now, we've pretty much felt obliged to demonstrate our worth to others, just as initially we've concluded that we had to submit to the judgment, judgmental authority of our caretakers. So what he's saying is our shared human experience is an internalized obligation to demonstrate our worth to others, which is something that we learn from the get-go, from varying degrees, um, depending on who raised us and how we were raised. So every one of us is born with a desire to be accepted. Uh, and we first dig into this by trying to be accepted by our caretakers, um, not by ourselves. Our pursuit of love is directed outwardly, not inwardly. Um, and I can't speak for everyone's experiences, but it took me a really long time to even consider the issue of loving and accepting myself. Um, first, it would be my parents, then of course, like other family members or friends, maybe some teachers, friends some more. Then it was like, what girl I wanted to accept me? And then uh, popular kids and like more friends, more peers. Um, by the time I got around to thinking of if I accepted or loved myself, I was like an adult. <laughs> um, what Dr. Seltzer is pointing out is very simple but profound. If you want to accept yourself, you have to recognize how much of you is hardwired to seek acceptance from others first. Um, subconsciously, I think Moses is kind of operating this way in this, in this verse. I think a part of him is hoping that God will give him a really good explanation for who sent him so that he can be accepted. He's already anticipating not being accepted. Um, he's saying, give me something to get the acceptance of these people. Um, and he's even like projecting that onto God a little bit. He's saying, like, don't you want to be accepted? Like, give me a, like a really, give me some clout so that they accept you and they accept me. God's response is, I am who I am. I will be what I will be. No qualifications, no excellent explanations, no in-depth descriptions. Um, God doesn't need to be anything for someone else's metric of God. Um, God is not obligated to demonstrate God's worth to others. God is. Um, a few years back, my path took me into a season of therapy uh, for the first time. And you, if you were to ask me what sent me there, I would not have even been able to articulate what I was feeling. Um, stuck in my head <laughs> is what I would have said. Um, in hindsight, I would call it an inability to express the scope of my emotions and needs. Um, my counselor like, had to diagnose me for um, insurance purposes. He like, was like, listen, I got to diagnose you. Don't you know, take it too hard, but just for your insurance, this is what you like to tell him. Um, and his diagnosis was an adjustment disorder. And that sounded very accurate. Um, in the face of things in my life, moving, shifting, changing, I always felt like a little stuck, like I couldn't quite say what I needed or wanted before things were already moving, they were already past me. Um, and through those therapy discu uh, uh, discussions, I would, sim I would say that I, I discovered that there were parts of myself, uh, my thoughts, my emotions, my needs, that were just not acceptable to me. Um, so I would ignore them, I would avoid them, I would deny them, push them aside, do everything in my power um, to reject them until I was feeling so stuck in my head um, that I'd start to feel panicked and uneasy, but it would be like too late. Um, that's a feeling that through counseling I have learned to call anxiety. <laughs> um, but before that I would have never in a million years said like, I feel anxiety. That was not a phrase that felt real to me. Um, 
I feel like I'm still learning that I am is an appropriate uh, and really the only true healthy response to kind of the things that come up in my life. Um, I'm slow at processing, as is. Like, I like to take my time and let things settle in, like what Jen said. I motioned, but she's not there. Um, <laughs> um, like, I need to process that for a while. Um, but, yeah, so at the core of it, I feel like uh, I'm, I'm very steady. I'm a steady person, and I feel like that is of great worth to me. Um, I like to take my time and be steady and process and um, feel calm in that. Uh, to be honest, I am fine a lot, so I pride myself on being fine. Um, I think that what, it's part of what makes me valuable. And uh, our friend, Dr. Kevil Rivera, and yours, you've seen Kevil around, has cautioned my wife and I about using words in our nonprofit like we value young people. Um, and that's not easy. It's like something we all say, like, oh, that, that's a valuable trait. This is, I value young people. These are things that I value. And it makes perfect sense um, what he's saying. He's saying even if ascribing a positive value to someone or something implies that you could ascribe a negative value to the same thing, right? So for me, um, when I was growing up and striving for acceptance through others, I learned that being steady and fine was an effective method. Um, I started to place value on that in my head, meaning that inevitably it was less valuable to be more emotional, um, to be a little unmoored, to be honest at times. The phrase, I am who I am, I will be what I will be, is valueless. It doesn't even give like a list of the good things and all the bad things, uh, like the good things God is and the bad things God is. Um, it doesn't do that the way that I would. Like I might say like, hey, I'm a kind uh, 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 I'm a kind person, but sometimes I can be condescending. Or I feel like I'm a good father, but sometimes I'm so distracted with my own stuff that I like kind of push my kids aside and ignore them, right? And it's this like game that I play of like, am I net positive or negative, right? Um, I am who I am is not net zero. It's beyond the game of social coin counting. Um, it's not self-esteem, it's self-acceptance. There's a difference there. Utterly egoless and without insecurity. It's at peace with reality and therefore at the door of health. Um, I think this phrase is also a masterclass in self-compassion. So our friend Dr. Seltzer, I'm gonna put this slide up. Um, that was my cue for the slide, because um, <laughs> I didn't tell you what I was gonna say. Our friend Dr. Seltzer explains this in his own way. He's speaking on forgiving oneself as an essential component of self-acceptance. Um, so he's kind of speaking about our past self in this, in this case. And he's talking about how we can for, forgive our past selves. And he says, we were always only acting from what is innate in us, what was innate in us, how compelling our needs were at the time, and what back then we believed about ourselves. So you can just leave that up, Meg. But that we can do no more or less than this at any time. In God's interaction with Moses, it's almost as if he's saying, I'm sending you to free these slaves because it is innate in me. I feel compelled to it at this time, um, and it's consistent with what I believe about myself, right? Like, that's, that's kind of what he's saying by saying, like, I am who I am. Um, and living this way could take away so much disappointment and shame from my life, I can say, um, because it destroys the notion that a version of me 
Um, there's a version of me that could be or should be. Um, instead, it gives me the freedom to be in process, um, on a journey at all times. Uh, and additionally, much like in Moses' case, it provides a compassionate approach to growth, um, where growth is not one where we deny our I amness to pursue some other false reality, um, but where we learn to identify what is innate in us and discern how that might be playing a role in our relationships, including our relationship to ourselves. Um, where we learn to assess our compelling needs, to get to the core of them and find ways to meet those needs in healthy ways. Um, and where we identify what messages we are believing about ourselves and over time begin to believe truer things, kinder things, more loving things. Um, you can take it down, I'll pull it back up a little bit later. <clears throat> Um, so I want to return to the fact that this interaction between God and Moses uh, is happening during a conversation where God is sending Moses to do some really hard things. Like This is a very difficult task that's ahead of him. Uh, and it would be hard enough without all the social dynamics that are at play. Like The task is go and free slaves from powerful people. That is a really hard task, as is. But Moses is also going to a complicated personal place a place where he's got multiple identities that are crashing together. So um, Moses the Egyptian and, and orphan, right? Moses the Israelite. Moses the shepherd in Midian who has a, uh, who's a husband and a father. Um, they all crash into each other, and he has to take these warring identities um, on top of this incredible task that he has to do. Uh, so one can only imagine all the insecurities and the anxieties that he might be feeling. Uh, it seems fitting, then, that God uses the phrase, I am who I am, as kind of a preface for sending him out here in an answer to the question, who are you? So it's almost like a pathway marked out for Moses to follow. For this thing to not tear Moses' mental health to shreds, Moses must be fully who he is, all that he is, all the identities, all the confusions, all the anxieties, everything. Um, Moses is enough for this task and capable of all the hard things he must do in his I amness. Um, and perhaps he's even incapable without his I amness. Um, it is Moses who God is choosing, not Moses playing the part of someone else. Um, I think because we strive to be accepted relationally, we can't help but model that internally as we've discussed. Um, we can be prone to feeling not quite good enough, not quite there, not ready to do the hard things in life that might feel congruent to us. In other words, something might feel innate to us and compelling to us, uh, and we may not venture down that path because we don't believe that it's, we we're capable of it, that we don't believe about ourselves that we can pursue that road. I am who I am keeps us resilient. It keeps us doing the hard things. Self-acceptance is the sneaky truth that keeps us pushing when things are tough. Um, a good goal is a great thing to have, but what keeps us striving towards that goal is the belief that we are enough to do it, even as we currently are unskilled, untrained, unready, all those things that we might feel that we are. Um, I want to point out the other thing that God is doing in these passages kind of around this verse is reminding Moses over and over again, I am with you. I am with you. I am with you. We are all at times called to do hard things, um, whether that's 
to stand up for something we know is just, or to defend marginalized, or to show uh, love to our neighbors in radical ways, or to pursue our own mental health, dig into traumas, all those things that we have to do. And God's promise is to be with us, to be with our I am, and to remind us that even as we are unqualified or unready or have a small voice um, in these worthy fights of our callings, that we're capable of doing the hard things that we must do because we are who we are, and that is enough. Um, so, okay, so I started this by saying it's a sermon on mental health. Again, not a mental health professional, just things that I feel like I've been thinking about and learning from my experience um, in therapy. But I want to give us a few good practices um, before we go, and I also want to do some mindfulness with us. Uh, we did, uh, on Tuesday, we did a little mindfulness activity that I'll do with you all today. Um, but before I do that, I would be remiss if I didn't say that uh, to everyone here that I highly recommend counseling and therapy. Um, if you are someone who struggles with mental health, then I'm talking to you. And if you're someone who doesn't think they do struggle with mental health and don't need it, I'm talking to you as well. Um, <laughs> we all need safe spaces to talk through all of our realities um, and move towards accepting them. Um, I know, I'm not a licensed professional, but I know that there are a number of licensed professionals that attend this church, um, and they would be happy to work with people, or they know people that would be happy to work with people. There are also a, a few more affordable routes um, in the area to get mental health care, because I can only think of like one insurance that <laughs> covers that. Um, so there are more affordable routes to um, get mental health care. There are people that do prorated um, counseling um, or even free in many cases. So um, if that's something that you are interested in, you can ask me and I'll do my best to help you with that. You can ask David, I'm sure he would do his best to help you with that. Um, Dr. Kevo Rivera would do his best to help you with that or anyone here I think would. Okay, so a few practices and then a mindfulness activity. So uh, practice number one, I think we all need to practice defining our realities. Um, for one, to accept reality, one has to know what that reality is. So this is easier said than done. Um, it may seem like you would be the expert, like you would know, like we would all know about our lives more than anybody else. And that is sort of true. But we all need to understand that we are looking from a subjective lens and a perspective that is like warped from our own life experiences. Um, so a good example from my life is that I never would have said I would have had an ounce of anxiety in my whole life before counseling. Um, that wasn't part of my reality from my understanding. After counseling, not only did I register that I was feeling anxiety in that space and in that moment of my life, but then when I looked back over my life, I was surprised to find anxiety present. Um, I was surprised to uh, have all these memories of just feeling a lot of things and shutting down and leaving my friends and sitting in my room. And they would all just say like, he's kind of moody. Like that's a moody person. And I'm like, yeah, I guess I am like moody. You know, <laughs> that's as far as we got, you know? Um, I was not able to articulate that feeling and it took counseling um, to realize that. Um, so could you put up Dr. Seltzer's list one more time, Meg? I think about this, uh, this practice of defining our realities in terms of this. Um, some things we can identify on our own and some things we don't realize are internalized from an early age. But to be able to like, ask ourselves, what's innate in us? 
and not just ask ourselves, but pursue conversations with a mentor, with a counselor, with conversations with family members, people that know us really well. What's innate in us? Um, to be able to like assess what we need um, through those, those conversations and what's compelling us right now and identify like what is it that I'm feeling. And then finally, to think about like what we believe about ourselves honestly. Um, and again, not just relying on our own methods, but talking to people that we trust, talking to counselors, having spaces where we can ask those really hard questions and, and dig a little deeper will help us to practice define our reality. Uh, number two, you can take that down if you want. Uh, to identify what parts of our reality we cannot accept. So once we have a decent perspective on what the realities of our lives are, a good next step might be trying to assess those parts of our realities that feel scary or uncomfortable. Um, what are the things we don't want to think about? What are the parts we wish weren't there? What feels hard to accept? Um, if the degree to which we can be healthy is the degree to which we can accept reality, then those things that we cannot accept might indicate unhealth. Um, a good example from my life would be all the things that I'm not saying right now because they feel too vulnerable to say in front of all of you. <laughs> um, <laughs> those are things I'm not ready to accept. They're not I'm not quite ready to accept, but I feel like I'm practicing those things. Um, I'm pushing on those things a little bit more post-counseling. Um, I am who I am is a very congruent statement. Um, it's a statement that requires vulnerability and courage. Um, to me, it indicates that the user of the phrase is unafraid to be all of the things that they are. Um, and that's a significant part of health. And it starts by locating some of those sensitive spots and being brave enough to address them. Um, this is another great space where counseling and therapy come in. Um, it's easiest to be brave when you know that you're 100% safe. Um, and I would not say that counseling felt 100% safe to me when I showed up, I won't, just to preface that. Um, it sort of felt like, what's the catch here? Like, what, what are you trying to pull? Like, <laughs> when are you going to release all these thoughts to the public? Like, when's this going to happen? Um, but when that starts to settle in, that, like, I could really say whatever I want in those four walls. I could really be vulnerable in that space. The fear starts to diminish. Um, and you start to get a taste of I am who I am. Um, and it helps to practice that and then be able to bring it to the outside world. Um, number three, and lastly, uh, like Dr. Seltzer said, to practice offering ourselves grace. So here's one more word from Dr. Seltzer about that. He says, that which finally determines the most problematic behavior is linked to common psychological defenses. It almost borders on cruel for us to blame ourselves or hold ourselves in contempt for acting in ways that at the time we thought we had to in order to protect ourselves from anxiety, shame, or emotional distress. I'll read that second half one more time. It almost borders on cruel for us to blame ourselves or hold ourselves in contempt for acting in ways that at the time we thought we had to in order to protect ourselves from anxiety, shame, or emotional distress. Um, there's a famous scene from Good Will Hunting uh, where Robin Williams tells Matt Damon that it's not his fault, and it's almost vanilla now, right? Like, it's been used so much, it's been parodied, and it's been parodied more times than we care to count. 
And it's to the point where, like, I almost forget how powerful that scene was the first time I saw it. Um, so if you've never seen the movie, Matt Damon has been processing his life through the movie, and at one point, Robin Williams' character is just saying over and over to him, it's not your fault, it's not your fault, it's not your fault, to the point where Matt Damon's character just completely breaks down. And I know I'm not alone in, like, crying openly the first time that I saw the scene. Um, and of course, like the acting is really raw and emotional, and it's a beautiful scene. But I think we all sort of resonate with the experience of holding ourselves responsible for things beyond our control. Um, life gives us all things to deal with right away. Traumas, family histories, social structures, personal afflictions, on and on and on. And we learn ways to cope. Um, we learn to strive. We learn to survive the best way we know how. <coughs> Um, sometimes those paths don't lead us to healthy things um, or to be the people that we want to be. I am who I am. Self-acceptance is a practice of grace. Um, it is a gift from God that God never requires more of us than our I am. Um, God is, we are. So it's critical to our health that we grow in forgiveness. Uh, I think of a verse at one point, um, somebody asked Jesus, like, how many times should I forgive my, my brother? How many times should I forgive my neighbor? Seven? Seven a good number? Um, and Jesus responds and says, 70 times seven. <laughs> like, just unlimited. Um, and I can almost hear him saying, like, if your brother or sister needs 70 times seven forgiveness, like, how much more so do you need for yourself? Um, so practicing grace. So I want to close with a mindfulness activity. So um, this will be pretty simple. If you've never done mindfulness, this is like um, mindfulness, like low level. Like, <laughs> like a mindfulness where it's like, I sort of know what it is. And so let's do that. That's kind of what we did Tuesday. Um, so it's a good song. <laughs> uh, so anyway, mindfulness. What we're going to do basically is like, I'll invite you to close your eyes. I'll, I'll bring you sort of through some thoughts and hopefully into presence in this space. And then we will do a, a, a little kind of group meditation and then come back, if that makes sense. Um, so you can close your eyes if you want to. You cannot close your eyes. Um, we'll start with 10 deep breaths. Now take note of your position. How does it feel to sit where you're sitting? What sensations are you feeling? Cross breeze in the room. 
What are you smelling? What are you hearing? Are you tense? Take note of your body. You can wriggle your toes. Feel the way your feet feel against the floor. You can roll your ankles. Feel your knees. Take note of any pains or tensions, discomforts. Move your fingers. How do they feel? Your hands and your wrists. Up your arm into your shoulders. You can roll them. Does your stomach feel as you breathe? your lungs fill up with air. Feel your neck. You can move your mouth around a little bit, loosen up your jaw. Are you clenching your teeth? Are your eyebrows furrowed? Is your forehead tense? Take note of your thoughts from the recent past. What's been on your mind lately? You can think of your anxieties, any disappointments, sadnesses, regrets. Angers, fears. little happinesses, things encouraging you. Things you're grateful for. Deep joy that you felt. Things and people that you love. Now think of your current thoughts. What did you carry into the room? What feeling did you have when you got here? How did you feel when you walked in? Who did you see? What did you talk about? Were you excited, nervous, comfortable? Distracted? Were you authentic? And now place your hand on your chest and feel it rise and fall. 
feel your heartbeat. Release every notion of what you should be, what you could be, what you hope to be, what you have been. You are who you are. Who you are is enough. Every bit of you is welcome here. Every bit of you is accepted here. Every bit of you is loved here. Bring to mind another person, maybe present in this room, maybe it's a spouse or a family member or a friend or a stranger you just met. Bring them to mind and think, you are who you are. Who you are is enough. Every bit of who you are is welcome here. Every bit of who you are is accepted here. Every bit of who you are is welcome here. We're going to take 10 deep breaths and 10 times on every inhale, say to yourself, I am. I am. I am. I am. I am. back to the room and to the sensations around you, to how your body feels. You can loosen up your shoulders again. Back to your position, to my voice, to what you smell, what you taste. And when you're ready, you can open your eyes. Amen. Worship band can come forward.